Guys, this is Uve Radio. My name is Felix, and we have something very special for you today. I am joined here today in the studio by Jeroen Kreinbrink, author and Uve professor. How are you doing today? Hello, Felix. I'm doing very well, thank you. Good to hear. Um, we actually have your book sitting in front of us, No More Bananas, and we're going to be doing a series for the next couple of weeks, or maybe even month, about this book. Would you like to explain what this book is about? Because it is very interesting. Yeah, the book is... Um, this is not advertising, by the way. This is an honest <laughs> promotion of a very, very good book. Thank you for that, indeed. <laughs> uh, and hopefully also pretty instructional uh, if, we, if you look at the entire series. So what the book is about, it's, it's basically a guide to uh, not going bananas anymore. Um, yeah. Because I experience this myself and I see a lot of people around me sort of being stressed out uh, through... Uh, social media by looking at what their neighbors uh, do and think and what their friends want. So a lot of people sort of being overwhelmed with all this stuff being thrown at them uh, today. Um, and what I try to do, or maybe for a couple of years, I've, I've struggled with that myself. So trying to find how, how can I sort of maybe ignore most of that? Because most of it is noise. So how can I keep a cool head and stay grounded and, and go my own way. Um, yeah, and that's what I, what I start studying and researching, and that became the book. Mm. And Going Bananas is just the general allegory for all of the bullshit that we experience in modern-day life. It's, it's the bullshit, but it's primarily what the result is. is we, mm. we go bananas because we are overwhelmed. We get so much information thrown at us. That makes us do, do say, feel, think crazy things. And mm. I think that's what going bananas really refers uh, to. And where did you feel that, because when I was reading the first chapter of this, it really felt like you had a very, very clear understanding of where these problems were coming from and things that I've been thinking as well. But the way you formulated it in this book is so comprehensive and so almost surgical. Mm -hmm. It was like you left no room for error or debate or any kind of questions about what was going on mm -hmm. with the thing you're trying to address in this book where did you formulate those feelings and come it, to those conclusions yeah that's a, that's really a process because it, it starts with a big mess or with an idea it's this idea or not even with an idea for a book it started with okay i have to do something about about this world about, <laughs> not, not about the world but about my myself need to take right? down facebook <laughs> Yeah, so but I, rather than that, so rather than trying to look at what kind of outside things need to change, I'd rather look at myself mm -hmm. and think, okay, what, what do I need to change? Uh, how can I sort of feel more relaxed, more confident, more calm? Uh, so that was the idea. And I started looking, uh, looking at my own experience, look at what others are doing, look in philosophy, in science, in uh, the monastery, uh, name it, all kind of different sources, places where people somehow seem to be able to withstand the collective craze around mm. them. Uh, so there's a lot of different ideas there. And that's what I try to do first is collect all of that. So that's a big pile of ideas and, and inspiration, a big mess, uh, and then try to structure that uh, into clear steps, into a clear diagnosis of what's going on. Uh, so that's the first part of the book is, is about okay, what are the exactly how bananas are we going so what are the examples what are the different categories of bananas that yeah. we uh, that we see I around it us? very funny as well that in the first i think two pages you uh singled out the me too movement 
as mm-hmm. one of those things, which is an example of us collectively going bananas, which was funny because as I was reading it, I was like, I don't know about that, man. I mean, the Me Too movement's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. it's liberated you know, and women and sex. And then at the end of the paragraph, you were like, you're probably reading this, getting angry, having some kind of reaction to what I've just said. You are now going bananas. <laughs> yeah. It was like you were breaking the third wall of writing. I was like, oh, true, he's got me there. Because it's funny that because I think it's something that is definitely amazing that it's happening mm-hmm. but it's also funny that because of twitter and the medium and this you know socially connected world we live in we're all able to get very very worked up about things that have really no direct impact on us mm-hmm. and that kind of extended empathy can be very good mm-hmm. but it can also on a personal level i think what you're talking about in this book is not kind of a general social commentary it's about being individually more happy and yes. less affected by all the nonsense in the world yes that's just, and i think that's the starting point because once you as an individual are are less affected mm. and are a little bit more calm uh, respond a little bit less to all the stuff around you that spreads yeah uh, because the whole idea and that's also what i explain in the book is i think one important mechanism is that we 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 we're looking at other people very much, uh, like in the past we had uh, all kind of stable uh, things we could rely on, like religion, like kings, like magicians, like science, and sort of in this age of today we uh, we lost all of that. Yeah, but we're still looking for some stability, some something we can can grab, and that's now other people. And I think so. If if you as an individual or me as an individual, uh, starts behaving a little bit more calm and, 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 and confident and maybe a little bit more sensible, a little mm. bit less bananas. I think that could, that's how things change Yeah, uh, with, with small uh, individual uh, steps. I think it's also about um, the last paragraph in the, in the first chapter here is, is a, there's one sentence which says, we can affect our primary instincts and choose to ignore them. We might not be able to fully control them, we can influence and neglect them. Mm-hmm. And I found that something quite interesting because I think we're always taught from a very young age to embrace our feelings. Mm-hmm. And always, you know, if you have this, if you feel this, uh, you know, and it's a good feeling, you mm-hmm. must embrace it mm-hmm. for whatever reason. But I think we're very rarely taught to neglect feelings. Mm-hmm. It's something that when you have a reaction to something and it's a very visceral kind of reaction and unless you take that into like a, an action which is... Um, you know, directly harmful towards somebody else. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's in that situation, then there will be like, mm-hmm. okay, you can't do that. You can't hit somebody. You can't scream at somebody. But we're generally taught that if you have this feeling, you can't just throw it away. It's a feeling. It's mm-hmm. there for a reason. And I think people should be taught a lot more to actually question their feelings and their first reactions and check themselves to be like, wait, why am I thinking this? Why is Why do I get so sad when you know my girlfriend doesn't reply to me for three hours mm-hmm. and stuff like that? And it's like, you know... Instead of taking out on her or beating yourself up about it, just question why that is, and yeah, yeah. I think if going so going bananas is is very much a sort of primary response, so mm-hmm. maybe an animal response. Uh, so it's it's it's, it's triggering uh, a lot of sort of things in our brain. I'm not a neuroscientist or a neuropsychologist, something like that. But but you you read about that stuff, is it, it it triggers sort of our primary responses. But mm. we're also human beings. We can think rationally. We can uh, choose to ignore uh, our primary responses. And I think that was ha- has brought us a lot 
because we have a couple of hundred years we've learned to to use our our mind to think rationally to reflect on things to think about the future to think about the bigger picture um to think about um how things are relative to each other and so on mm. and that really helps to put things in perspective uh and therefore i think you you can we can ignore quite a few of these primary responses which by the way is not a um uh, not telling that we should always ignore them no. uh, that's in, through the entire book it's always about balance because sometimes of course your primary feeling your intuition your hunch that's something you 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 have to rely on mm. but at other cases maybe you have to sit and wait let's let's think 10 seconds yeah. and then respond and i think it's also the fact that when you're in those situations where you realize that you might have been wrong about something and your first reaction was was a bit stupid and other people are involved and mm-hmm. you've made your first reaction evident and mm-hmm. your first reaction has had an impact on them in some way, mm-hmm. then it makes it so much harder to go back and actually critically evaluate it unless you have those skills that, you know, have to be taught as a child that, you know, you need to take responsibility yeah. for being wrong. It's okay yeah. to be wrong. You're going to be wrong all the time. Uh, that's fine. And the embarrassment comes into it. Yeah. Then. And so many people don't actually check themselves and realize their mistakes because they just rather be like, oh, that was me, though. That's just who I am. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? It's like, well, it's just who I am. Yeah. So we are supposed to be our authentic self and also look for our true self. So who we are, what we want, what we truly want. Is that really useful? Has that brought? Not always. uh, always. I think in many cases, not. Yeah. I found it funny as well. You had um, the list of all the fears Mm -hmm. that dominate people nowadays. It's a very comprehensive list. I'd like to go through it with you and ask Mm -hmm. you uh, which fears you think you have. I did like, probably all of them yeah no but I, th- I think you can kind of pinpoint which ones really affect you yeah, you know which sure. ones you struggle sure, with because i was going through yesterday and i was like oh i've got all of them and i was like no, no I, th- I think i've got half of them <laughs> it's uh fear of missing out fear of being alone fear of being left alone and there's a subtle difference there i uh-huh. gathered which is um the fear of being alone is more that you just really hate being alone and yeah. fear of being left alone is fear of abandonment yeah or, being left behind or dying yeah. alone yeah. and these kind of yeah. things um fear of being ordinary fear of being extraordinary so being you know weird or Mm -hmm. you know an outcast fear of failure and fear of nothingness which is the fear of being lazy and of your demons coming up when doing nothing Mm -hmm. the last one i found funny because i was oh yeah i definitely have that you know i'm I'm always scared of being lazy and you know not passing Uh university in this and i was like wait no i don't have that because i if i did have that then i wouldn't be so lazy (laughs) (laughs) And I'd actually uh, make a much bigger effort. <laughs> so you have done some some thorough self-diagnosis already, yeah, just on, yeah, based yeah. on one page. Yeah, exactly. That's very yeah. good. So you're asking what what's the most important fear for myself? Yeah, which one do you think affects you the most? I to get. A bit I think of an to be honest, the it, it's the fear of being ordinary. Really? And I think that's why. I, why else would I write a book? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. And yeah, because I think somehow I want to feel sort of special, um, yeah, different, unique, uh, stuff like that. I mm. think that's, that's sort of, yeah, is it a fear? Yeah, I think being being seen as someone like everybody else, I think that's sort of my main fear, maybe main weakness, mm. if, if, you, if you would like. Um, but think- the other ones, uh, yeah, I think everyone has part of that too. Yeah. What's funny is that when you when you group them all together, you look at them in a big long list. It's mm-hmm. like, oh my god, you know, life's so scary. Mm-hmm. Look at all these things to be afraid of. But when you just look at them individually, 
it's funny because they just they don't look scary anymore. It's just fear of nothingness is like, well, obviously you don't have to be lazy. Fear of failure, you control your own life. The only two of these which, you know, aren't in your control are fear of being alone and fear of being left alone. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if not being alone is going to bring you happiness. That's like a constant pitfall we fall into is thinking that, you know, we're going to get satisfaction and happiness in life. Yeah from these people around us. Yeah. The reason that I talk about these fears and that that's mentioned there as well is, is that they're actually sort of pseudo fears. They're they're yes, they are fears, but they're also not truly important fears. And I think what is going on with with going bananas is that some of our primary response that is triggered is really the fear response. Yeah. Uh, like in the past when let's say a couple of ten thousand years ago it really was threatening when you were alone because you would have been killed by another tribe or, or whatever or by an animal. Today, if you're alone for a day, you're not going to be killed. It's going to be fun. You're free. Prob- <laughs> prob- prob- probably, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> probably you'll have some fun and you feel relaxed because finally there's less noise around you. Yeah. Um, but they're not sort of life-endangering uh, threats. Mm. Uh, but we, we sort of respond to them in that way. Yeah, I know what you mean because whenever I've been traveling on my own, I always have to force myself to do it beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll like be with friends somewhere else or yep. like booking a ticket to go on my own. And I'll be like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to go like with some friends somewhere else or meet up with somebody. That'll be fine. And then the second that I get on my own and I realize I'm on my own, I'm going to be on my own for the next three, four days or yep. a week, whatever. The feeling of freedom that comes over you yep. is incredible because yep. you've just thrown away all of that and fully accepted that for now you're going to be on your own. You're vulnerable. You don't have your phone as much, like, screw that. It's just you out there. Yeah. And it is incredibly liberating. Um, but, yeah, I found it funny as well in the first chapter. You were saying a lot that individualism is falling. Mm-hmm. And that's quite a, a bold statement to make. Because, you know, we have this world which has become so liberating. It's a postmodern mm-hmm. world. And I think everybody tends to think that now is the time when you can be the most individual mm-hmm. and the least constrained by you know, pr- what previous generations were constrained yeah. by. Yeah, it's sort of a paradox. Because on the on the one hand, indeed, we, we can be ourselves and, and we are the, the whole idea that we are more individualistic than ever. Than ever. So we don't look at... Because uh, we have the, so much access to information, shopping, everything. We can identify with all these different cultures and identities that we never <laughs> would have been able to before. Yeah, but at the, at the same time, we are, we are connected more than ever. And I think we are looking at other people more than ever. And if you really look at how... So a, so on the one hand, yes, we, we look at ourselves and we care about ourselves and we don't look at sort of the bigger picture, the collective part. So that's that's one half of the paradox. The other one is uh, we, we do look at other people as a reference point. Uh, the way we dress, the way we talk, the songs we like, uh, the kind of smartphone we want, everything we do, the kind of programs we watch on whatever, whether it's YouTube, Netflix, or, or television, all of that is very much influenced by what is available, uh, what your the peers around you are doing, what the famous people you worship are doing. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, and the algorithms that are set for your profile. That's Because that's, you keep on getting fed the same content that you have shown interested in before, and it's a yeah. self-repeating cycle. Yeah. But is do you still do you really feel that um because I feel like we might have had an age of liberation in the sixties and seventies where mm-hmm. people were actually freed from 
these conservative norms. Mm-hmm. And then we did have, you know, freedom or a lot more individualism and freedom mm-hmm. in those decades until, you know, the age of the internet. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like now we're actually, it's not that, you know, it's we're fully don't have individualism, it's that we're going in decline. Oh, I don't know about that. If you're Whether looking at a scale of individualism over the decades. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Um, so I, I, I still think that we, in terms of, individualism as caring about ourselves uh sort of more the egocentric part mm-hmm. i think that's not in decline <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's still <laughs> maybe more than ever yeah um but i think looking at other people i don't know so i grew up in in, in let's say in the 80s so i don't know about the 60s and the 70s and how that really was because one of the other things is also there's a lot of uh we think things were very different in the past uh, and things are worse now. That's generally the, the 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 idea that things are going worse and it's more stress now and more uncertainty and it's more difficult. And But at the end, that's also a feeling of all ages. So I don't know whether it's really um, uh, yeah, declining or, or, or not. Mm. And I don't dare to say that. Yeah. But it's, it's and at, at the end, it's also not so relevant because it's, it's happening today. It's what people experience. So in that sense, it's real. Uh, and something we, but something we can do something about. Mm. I think it's something that we kind of have to learn how to deal with every single person individually. Because uh, I always feel like you know my phone makes me depressed, or you know mm-hmm. the internet makes me sad. And then Why? I realize like it's not it's not the fault of my phone. No, you know? it's not the fault of Facebook or you know WhatsApp or whatever. No. It's it's the way that I you know interact exactly. with that network and that device. So it's about I think everybody just finding their own way of dealing with these things. Yeah. And, and it's your choice. And I yeah. think that, that's really the, the, the core of the book is that, yes, the only way to do something about it is you start with yourself mm. or actually you, you, you work on yourself. But I think it's, it's something as well that we do have to all accept that these things aren't as innocent as they look. And social networks and technology, they can have a very negative impact on people. And it's something that never really gets talked about so much because mm-hmm. the effects of it and how damning it can be for people is only starting to become evident. And it's more just the fact we see, okay, you know, these smartphones being advertised, that's that. But, yeah, I think once we all start to do that together, it'll be okay. Yeah, because it's, it's really just how you're using it. Uh, and you can choose to switch off all your mm. notifications, to have to switch off your, your Wi-Fi connection, to not have a look at your phone. Uh, it, it, at the end, it's your choice, and that's what we maybe forget. Uh, yeah, it, it's like, okay, the technology is there, it's the environment, it's the society, it's the big companies, it's governments. It's always someone else, uh, but at the end, it's us who choose to care. Yeah. Well, I think we should get straight into it. So this is a, um, a nine-step program, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I think we should do one podcast about each episode. So if you're listening right now, tune in for the first one. It'll be coming out very, very soon. And uh, yeah, let's jump into the collective treadmill. I like that you used it in the second last sentence. Mm-hmm. Did you coin that phrase? Maybe I don't Maybe. know. <laughs> I just wrote it. It's a very, it's, it's a very. It's nice always, phrase. it's always difficult to, to know what you got from somewhere else and yeah, what's original yeah, yeah, yeah. because at the end, probably the sentence has been somewhere circling yeah, yeah, yeah. around. Plagiarism is very tricky, man. I get, I get yeah. called for that all the time. All right, but let's get into it. All right. <laughs> 